warned Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my own land. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go, for you yourself know my service which I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, stay with me. I have interpreted an omen that Yahweh has blessed me on your account. And he continued to say, Name me your wages and I will give it. But he said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came, but it, was spread, but it has spread out to a multitude. And Yahweh has blessed you at every step of mine. But now when, I sh- when shall I provide for my own household also? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. And Laban said, behold, let it be according to your word. So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it, and all the black ones among the sheep, and gave them into the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob was pasturing the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees, and he peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the trough, that is, in the watering channels where the flocks came to drink. And they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth stripes speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs, and he made the flocks face towards the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he set his own herds apart, and did not set them with Laban's flock. Now it would be that whenever the stronger of the flocks were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the sight of the flock in the trough, so that they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So the man spread out exceedingly and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be God. Let's take a moment of prayer. Glorious and heavenly Father, please be with John as he gives this message today. Please open our hearts to hear your word, to hear about your character, to hear about your desires. Please bend our wills to your God, yours, God. Please let the Holy Spirit guide us in our thoughts and our actions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Did I read the right passage? You know, that actually has happened here once, is Jeff Mock. Throw your arm up real quick, Jeff Mock. He's a deacon here, but he also read the wrong passage one Sunday uh, before service, so I like to mention that with regular basis, as I'm able. <laughs> we do love Jeff. Um, I love this story because it comes across so strange, and I think so many Stories in scripture can come across so strange, and to me it's encouraging because the word doesn't hide anything about flaws and faults and failures in people, 
And so frequently for us, so far removed from these stories, it's very easy to see the hand of God in these people's lives, to see God acting in these people's lives, but stepping back for that, sometimes it's difficult to see the same thing in our own lives. And we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow because the word says so, not because I say so. And so God is active today like he was active then. Now, this book, the book of Genesis, is describing what did happen. It's not describing norms that always happen. So if you are looking to create spotted animals, this is not a recipe on how to create spotted and striped animals. In fact, if you read forward, there's a spoiler alert in chapter 31 as to exactly why he did that, was by the instruction of God to show himself strong and differentiate Jacob from his twisted father-in-law, uncle Laban. I love this story. This is all about God. And it should encourage us as we read it. What I believe we see this morning in this story is, is a tenant that's as much for us as it is for Jacob. It's for us to understand that sometimes blessing, when it comes from God, isn't without tension. Blessing isn't without tension. I think for whatever reason, call it because we're Western, um, Americans, sinful, when we hear blessing, we think it's going to be all about us, and we think everything about blessing is going to be fantastic. It's going to make me comfortable. Sometimes discipline is blessing. If you had a, a, a godly father and godly mother in your home, their discipline was a blessing for your life. Imagine what it would be like if your parents didn't discipline you. You know what toddlers are like? You know my feeling about toddlers? They're, they're little, little semi-controlled monsters. That's um, why like God doesn't give baby's teeth until they're a little bit older when they can understand they're not supposed to use them, but there's always that one kid in daycare that uses those incisors as a weapon anyway. We have to be taught not to hurt one another out of our emotions and our anger. You know, you say to a child, no, no, we don't hit. One person once said, if a, if a, if a, a toddler were strong enough and they wanted that shiny gold watch on your wrist, they would rip you to shreds in order to get it. And so sometimes discipline itself is a blessing. But just because tension comes along doesn't mean there isn't blessing. Um, and that, that's important to know because I think we've got sometimes selfish and self-serving childlike tendencies. All of us, myself included, we, we tend to feel like blessing means I get what I want and I get it now. Um, in, in my, my tenure as a believer, time walking with God, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a believer make an irrational decision and claim to be doing it for God. Maybe get a feeling that they should serve God in some way, and, and, and sometimes you feel like you can see it from a mile away, and it usually means letting go of some responsibility that they just hate in that moment. It's an opportunity to get away from a thing that's burdening them maybe a demanding job or a challenging situation to move on to something altogether new. And it needs to happen really fast. And so frequently details aren't worked out. And I've seen it repeatedly leave people worse than they were and confused. They were sometimes propping up the word of God to get them out of something. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7 should cause us at times to pause. Now, I'm not saying... That when someone feels they hear, someone feels they understand the will of God is for them to change their situation. I'm not saying that that's wrong. 
and just saying we have scriptural mandates sometimes to slow down that we want to run faster. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think stories like the one we're going to read today where we see God making the way, or where we see God making things occur so that his will would be accomplished, are encouragements. And we think about this timeline. You've got Jacob now. We know 14 years and two seven-year betrothments, probably at year 20 when we come to him in this story. 20 years, two decades since God came to him in, in verse 28 and made a promise about his future. 20 years waiting. That said, let's, let's look at our first, first verse, verse 25 in Genesis chapter 30 and go into the story. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Ready to go. Twelve sons, 13 kids, four wives, one crazy father-in-law who has always got an angle, and he's ready to be out. I want to take you back to the promise I referenced a second ago in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 15. Whether this is top of mind for Jacob in this moment or whether God's will is just kind of pressing on him and moving him in the direction that he should go, we don't exactly know, but we do know that God came to him in chapter 28, going to verse 15. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. What a great encouragement. We're, as I said, now 14 to 20 years later, past that promise. And when you're Jacob, maybe it's difficult to see God's hand in the day-to-day -day events of life. That's why I think so often as believers over time, over decades, over years, it's so important to look back and survey back over our lives and see what God was doing in our lives seasonally. I've said before, if you're old enough to remember in school, they used to have these clear things before PowerPoint, right? A little clear plastic thing that the teacher would print and then they would put it on a projector and a light would shine up and it would beam it on the wall and that picture would be left behind. If we could take two and create two charts. One was, was tension in your life or trials, and the other was growth in your Christian walk. I think if you laid those on top of each other, you would find common peaks. Because so frequently as God is growing us, I think it feels like tension. We've got Jacob 14 to 20 years later, maybe having a hard time seeing God's involvement across those 20 years. You can imagine perhaps some frustration in him with the situations that he was foisted into. One marriage that he waited seven years for and 
wake up in the morning and realize it's the wrong sister, how you pull that off, not sure, but he did. Seven more years. Perhaps you could say some trickery was due to him based on the way he treated his brother and his father, not forgetting the trajectory of this story. And again, that's why I love the word. If you were going to write a book and you're going to make it be about a God and try to use it to control people, you would not write it anything like this. Its heroes are twisted. Its, its heroes sometimes, in the midst of following after God, do things that are ungodly. They do things for their own benefit. They do things that feel so counter to what God would want. And in spite of that, God uses them, but that should encourage us today. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, not the perfect to continue being perfect for him, and then he raises a banner over their head and says, mission accomplished. God accomplishes his mission through people, and he draws straight lines with crooked sticks. In Jacob's life, we, from a distance, see God making things happen that sometimes cause great tension, sometimes cause great favor, and occasionally those two things come together, which, again, is strange for those of us who are from a transactional culture, which is bent around giving us anything we want, food, fast, the way we want it. Maybe you have a sibling, maybe you're that person who is incredibly picky. I can't have tomatoes, and so a sandwich has to come without tomatoes. No tomato can have touched said sandwich. It can't even be pulled back off and be made okay. For a person who doesn't like tomatoes, if tomato's been there, it's now awful and tainted. That same person will eat spaghetti with tomato sauce. If the restaurant service isn't done within 45 minutes, we're frustrated. If the food isn't as we asked for it, or that box of fries is missing yet again from the drive-thru order, we're infuriated. I was trying to find out how many different sneakers have been created, and if somebody can help me figure that out, I would, I would love to know. It's, I, I don't even know what the number is. It must be astronomical. Just individual types of sneakers that we have made. It's, it's got to be a huge number. We, we are people who want what we want exactly as we want it, and we want it now. We need Amazon to get it to us in 24 hours, but less would be better. We need to be able to pause live television. We need to be able to stream movies straight into our home. We need to be able to binge shows. I don't watch a show that I'm going to binge unless every episode is out because I don't want to wait. God told Jacob in chapter 28 that he would be with him and keep him and bring him back to this land. Now, 20 years later, it's coming to pass. What's the last thing you waited 20 years for? Some of you can't answer that question. The book of Acts in chapter 7, and I'm only going to read through chapter 8 because I'm going to leave the rest to Pastor John Nicholas's able hands, and I don't want to spoil or alert where we're going in the story. So I'll stop at verse 8 of Acts 7, but I do not want to. Um, I love that the New Testament so frequently talks to us about the patriarch, so frequently talks to us about the things that are going on in the book of Genesis, and, and helps our minds understand how that was always part of God's ark. It's not forgotten old stuff. I don't even like saying Old Testament because I feel like that means old, not good, moved on, past, which isn't true. New Testament is a continuation of the same story. With a new priesthood comes a new law. 
but it's all interconnected. Nothing's really changed. Every jot and every tittle has been satisfied, and everything about the Old Testament, the shadows, become revealed in the light of Christ, and they become helpful and instructive to us. And so the book of Hebrews is incredible, incredibly helpful for us, our New Testament minds and our Gentile minds, to understand all that God was doing. But in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, and no further, or it'll spoil the rest of these chapters for Pastor John Nicholas. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out from your land, from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into his land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and inflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, God said. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. This story is a story about the sovereign, immutable, unstoppable hand of God making the impossible happen to satisfy his will and demonstrate his strength. And we should be grossly encouraged by that. That's why so many passages in the New Testament scriptures say that we should be more sure. They suggest that we shouldn't, we shouldn't fear. We shouldn't be anxious. And sometimes because we're fallen, we do feel those ways. And that's why those passages are written. For when you feel like that, to go back and understand who God is and remember who you are, but that you're his in Christ, sealed by the Spirit. What great truth. This word is instructive to our very core and it's necessary for our encouragement that's why to focus to to gather together on a sunday and focus on anything but this would be an atrocity to our souls it is criminal when we go to a church and and we hear someone talk about autobots and the movies and how you can find christ in the peanuts might as well shut that down that's worse than the kiwanis or whatever those clubs are called At least they're not claiming Christ. But to do that in the name of Christ is offensive. And we should be offended by it. And we should not participate in that. Only this word is what's important. This is how God's revealed himself. Not through your comedy. Not through civilian movies. Not through worldly movies. We don't come to know who God is from a preposterous movie. We know who God is from his word. That's the only way. That's the only way I want to know. Because anything else has fallen and and flawed and can lead me in wrong directions. This word keeps me safe. And so the book of Acts, Stephen reveals that this arc of the story from the patriarchs is to encourage us and see the sovereign hand of God working. Why? Because we learn to trust him. We learn to trust him as we read these stories because we don't read stories that are made up, that are interesting, that are cool movies. 
You know, it wasn't about making Moses look neat as he parted the waters. It wasn't about Moses being a showman as he made water come from a rock. In fact, that was a problem. It was about showing God's strong hand. And that should encourage us as well to read the story of how he saves an entire nation from another nation's army by parting and opening the sea and drying the land, marching them through, and then drowning the army. Shows us how strong God is, not how neat splitting water is. And the focus in Acts and all that Stephen just said was on God, what God was doing in the patriarchs, including Jacob's 12 sons. And remember where those 12 sons come from, in spite of the way that Jacob handled this situation, in spite of children from two handmaidens and two wives at the same time, God still worked through all of that. you want to read the spoiler alert you can keep reading past and read the rest of acts chapter 7 and and john will speak to it later continuing in our story in verse 26 jacob to laban his father-in-law give me my wives and my children for whom i've served you that i may go for you know the service i've given you but Laban said to him, I, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Okay, he's kind of getting it, you know, kind of. We mentioned earlier that maybe it's top of mind for Jacob um, that God is working day in and day out. He's prospering, flocks are growing, uh, and While Laban was not an honest man, God was still blessing him, in a sense, through Jacob. Uh, We learn in the scriptures that the sun rises and sets on the believer and the unbeliever alike. That's the idea called common grace. God's common grace is bestowed on all people. We sang earlier about the seasons. Um, If it was up to me, there would be a perpetual summer. It would be Florida. And the earth would scorch, and just like Florida, there'd be prehistoric animals and roaches everywhere. Seasons are good, right? They're good for us. It's good for it to get cold and kill off the bugs and have growing season, let the land rest a little bit. The order that God has for this earth and for our lives, for seasons, for the rising and the setting of the sun, maybe you'd rather it just be sunny all day or dark all the time. See how they feel in Alaska about that. God is so good to us to give us order. And so, by some kind of a common grace and by God showing himself strong, Laban is is being blessed because of Jacob's presence. And he won't be the last as we continue in this story. There will be others blessed because of his obedience and his calling in God. So if Jacob and his family of 17, because remember there's China, was a drag on Laban. We can imagine somebody like Laban would have been looking to get rid of them much sooner. If, these, if this family of 17 was making it harder to make a meal at the end of the day, if they were a real drag on their ability to provide for these people, he, they would split. Um, similar with, uh, with Abraham and Lot, right? It was getting too contentious between the both of them. They both picked different directions to go because it was hard to understand whose possessions were whose and difficult to feed and water all of these animals. So Laban certainly would have 
sent him off if he thought it was difficult to support all of these people, but he was receiving benefit from Jacob's being there. I also think that Jacob's service was most likely exemplary of biblical principles and reflections on God's character. I don't think he served poorly. I don't think he worked bad. Um, I think just like as believers, we're, we're called to a kind of a, a vocation. We, we talked about that earlier this morning in Sunday school a little bit. Our vocation is part of who we are as believers. You can't separate the two. You can't make one more important than the other. They're all important. All things are in Christ for his glory. So the way that I show up to work and I do my job is as much a part of my Christian walk as the way that I come to church and I worship and I deal with other believers and I treat people. This is how, this is the tangible representation of Christ on earth is his people. Doesn't mean we live it out perfectly, but it is the tangible reflection. That's what we're called to be. Um, you've, some of you may have heard me talk about this principle of magnification before. I love it. I think it's helpful. Um, I was at a store the other day, and this lady was helping me, and both of us were trying to look at a tag on a garment, but neither of us could read it. And she brought over a magnifying glass, and I thought, wow, this is super embarrassing, but I can read it now. So that's taking something small and magnifying it so that you can see it. My eyes are tired and they don't see anymore. But when I want to see the moon and the details of the moon, it's also magnified, but it's huge. It's just that it's far away and it's hard to appreciate the details. And so a telescope oriented on the moon lets you see craters and details about the surface. And in a similar yet fallen way, I think we do that for God. As we walk around as people in whom the Spirit lives, who are working to imitate Christ, we bring the presence of God to the world around us in a kind of a tangible way, and it gives us opportunity to speak to a watching, dying world around us. When, we're, when we live in a differentiated way from the world, when we have an opportunity to make an apology for a character flaw, um, when our conversations are about the good things of God with people who think nothing of God, it, it brings God closer, it makes them curious, it makes them want to ask, it gives us opportunities to be the person who preaches without whom no one would know him. And so Laban, even though he's a pagan, can see the hand of God working in Jacob's life, and he appreciates his presence. Several passages I decided to choose for talking about the way a believer should be in the world, and I hope these stand out. I think they're meant to snap our necks to attention and say, wait, what? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8 will be in, in, in three books, Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Peter, uh, to look at the character of the believer. And I think this applies to us. As char- certainly, if it applies here, it most certainly applies to us as believers at work. Ephesians. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service and with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. If you applied that to your believer's life, going to work, showing up every day, your understanding of vocation, how would that change what you do 
day in, day out, minute by minute, hour by hour, week by week, year by year. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. I'm in the ESV. You may be in something else. It will say bond servants. Some will say slaves. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. This forces our eyes to think about ourselves and how we do our service to Christ. It's almost like it removes you from the situation that you're in and says, but what about me in this situation? Yes, this person in the worst situation, perhaps, is supposed to serve God in this way. How about me in a great situation? As an American employee, there's almost no safer place to work than as an American employee. You pretty much can't be fired. You can be really bad. You can't be fired. It's hard to fire someone here. We have a lot of wonderful rights, and it's wonderful. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. Again, I believe these are principles by which we should hope to present ourselves to the world, and we should start to conform ourselves to, like Romans 12 would say, for our minds to be conformed to the word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. I know a lot of people don't like this, but you could take it up with the author. I'm just reading. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. My gosh, that's tough. That's hard. That's a mind that's otherworldly. That's a mind that's so focused on God, that's so focused on Christ and his value, it is not concerned for itself in this world. What, a, what, what freedom? You know that welling anger that you feel sometimes when you feel that you've been wrong? To remember, to remember Christ and his worth, to remember the call of the believer, to remember, you know, and, and, and God is so gracefully encourages us, um, as, we, as we read earlier, um, it, n- none of this is like beaten over our heads, say, hey, just do this, and, and you know, you just need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, right? Um, Ephesians, in, in the seventh verse of, of the sixth chapter, said, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to men, verse eight, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. Our service is to God, and our treasure is so huge. It's so much more than anything this life could ever deliver you. I mean, think about all the wonderful things of this life, and there's wonder. I'm not a stoic. There are wonderful things about this life. If you know me, you know one of the things that I love more than anything in this world is eating. 
you know, the Bible commands me to eat and drink to the glory of God. I am obedient in that space. I love good food and praise God, there is some good food. Like hot chicken, Nashville hot chicken. Praise the Lord, that's good stuff. Some of you like Chick-fil-A. That's unfortunate. You have a bland palate. There's great food in the world. I guess Chick-fil-A is okay. I remember my kids one time, we were in Maryland, and there's a restaurant called Cookout, and they play Christian music, but with the lyrics. Not like Chick-fil-A, where it's just the music, you know? You can like, oh, wait, I think that's a, I think that's a hymn. And you say, wow, man, they're bold. Man, that's what the world's come to. It's bold to play Christian music lyrics in your restaurant instead of hiding behind the instrumental version. Uh, what are you going to do? These encouragements in Colossians and, and Peter and Ephesians to live in a way that's different, to bring God glory by the way that you live, even under a terrible master, is a great reminder to bring God glory, and we kind of see it with Laban. The way that Jacob works, the benefit that's brought, and his, his desire for, for God to be seen in it are consistent with biblical principles that would come later. The blessing of God wasn't just delivered through Jacob's comfort. Right? It's not like he just kind of kicked back and stood under the spout where the glory came out, Right? He was working. He was putting in labor, I'm sure. And I'm sure God multiplied his efforts. I think that's what we see. I think it probably stands out among other people's labors in similar ways. We see God multiply that. Maybe you've seen that in your own life if you're a believer. Go to work, put in a day's work, pray, and you're just like, man, God, thank you so much. So like the, the opportunities that you've brought to me, the, the success I'm seeing, I know in my core who I am and the success I'm seeing, God, thank you for it because I am a stone-cold idiot, and I appreciate you covering that up so regularly for me. God is so good, and sometimes I fear that we forget to lean back in glory. It's okay to lean back and appreciate how good God is. Um, in the model prayer, Jesus said to, to ask God for our daily bread. When's the last time you thought that way? I think we, we, we feel like we're just fine. We don't need God for our daily bread. I've got it covered, right? I've got three breads on my counter. I'm just hoping I can eat them before they mold. And then I can manufacture work on a treadmill or a bicycle so I can burn off all the food that I've eaten to God's glory, by the way, without destroying my temple more than I have. You look to Jacob's life and the witness of the patriarchs I don't think we step away and expect to be blessed with lives of ease. It wasn't theirs. I'm not suggesting we should be some kind of a Quasimodo with a hump on our back, limping around looking for sanctuary. I think we enjoy whatever circumstance we're in. Paul said, happy in little, happy in much. Satisfied in both situations because God's never changed. If what it takes to make you satisfied is a life of ease, it'd be so easy to dissatisfy you or so easy to make you complacent. We need to learn to find our satisfaction in God, not in the place where moth and rust destroy. Sometimes 
it requires patience and God's perfect timing to see his blessing and his plan unfold. Sometimes we're like toddlers, right? Stomping our little Velcro-shoed feet, swinging around our dirty little face because we want what we want now rather than trusting God. I think what we see in Jacob is maybe even a maturing in someone who's learning by experience, who's learning to wait on God, learning to trust God, learning not to jump ahead of God. And we would do well to learn by the text as opposed to our own experience, but your mileage may vary. Verse 28, Laban responds, name your wages and I'll give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me. You know, Laban is working to keep Jacob. And Jacob, whether it's because of the promises in verse 28 being top of mind or his will being affected by the will of God, drawing him, dragging him, making him think of going and moving on from Laban, is set on heading to his homeland. Jacob takes opportunity to point to God in all that's happened. We'll see that in verse 30, but I love there's a, a, a quote from, from Calvin in this, in this section, around this section of Scripture. He says, the use of this doctrine is twofold. First, whatever I attempt or to whatever work I apply my hands, it is my duty to desire God bless my labor that it may not be vain and fruitless. Then, if I have obtained anything, my second duty is to ascribe the praise to God without whose blessing men in vain rise up early, fatigue themselves the whole day, late take rest and eat the bread of carefulness and even taste even a little water with sorrow. Look at those juxtapositions. The person whose mind is on God, he prays that he would give him the fruit of his labor. Thanks to God for anything that occurs. The, the other just gets up early and tries to grind it out, goes to bed exhausted and complaining. It's a decision which we are, but it comes by experience and it comes by looking at the word to see who God is, that he's involved and that he's engaged in our lives. Great reminder to seek God's favor even in our daily work and rest in God, knowing that he, listen, verse 30, for you had little before I came, and it's increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pass through your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep, every black lamb, the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer me later. When you come and you look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs that's found with me shall be counted as stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. Now, we've met Laban already, so we know this is not going to be a straight-up transaction. That is not how this character operates. 
Um, and that's why it's important that we, we, we took the spoiler alert earlier to say in verse 31, Jacob was uh, instructed directly by the Lord as to how to handle this situation, which without reading ahead can seem a little strange about the striping of the sticks and carving and putting it in the water and all this. This is God working. You, you, you think of the scene, perhaps if you've read it, if not, go find it, of Elisha and the false prophets, right? Pour more water on my offering and let's have it burn. More water, bring buckets of water, trusting in God. So we're not surprised that Laban is going to do some, some trickery here. I, I, we don't have time to fully treat this. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses, but I want to suggest that you look to Hebrews chapter 11 this week and read it and, and think about this. Let this be a rich encouragement to your walk and to your life because Hebrews chapter 11 is the backdrop of this mic drop moment in Hebrews 12, which I think is important. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we'll read together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This passage instructs us that the cloud of witness, which is what you'll see in Hebrews chapter 11, which calls on some of the story that we're reading in Genesis chapter 30, is to encourage us and allow us to set aside which weight? Any specific weight? Every weight. Now, I don't know about you, but I know what weight means. Setting aside a weight, you feel it sometimes. This life pulls on us and beats on us and situations, they, they weigh on you. They make you feel heavy, which is why the, the scriptures say to husbands and wives, not to let the sun set on your anger, because that will weigh on you. It'll make your marriage feel heavy, and it makes it, it awful in the home. Just rip the Band-Aid and deal with it. Talk about it. Get it out. The weight of that on your marriage and on you, on people, is just awful. The cloud of witnesses allows us to lay aside every weight. Why? Because we look at these stories. We look at everything that God did. We look at God working through twisted people and, and bringing to be his prophecy through everyday folk, but also being engaged in their lives and caring about them and loving them. We, we read in the scriptures that God cares for the birds of the field. How much more us? How much more his crown of creation, his children, those for whom he sent his son to bleed and die on the cross so that they would be redeemed to himself, would we think that he's not going to care for us or provide for us? We need to understand who and whose we are, and we can live so differently in this life. Everything doesn't feel so crushing when we understand what it means that we're pressed on every side but never broken. Because as believers, we know what comes after this. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when the Lord looks at me, he sees Christ, and I'm thankful. Because I have no answer for myself outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I would not even want to try to begin the excuses for my life in front of a holy God. Love the word holy. It just means different because there's no other way to describe God in comparison to us. He is completely different. I am thankful to hide in Christ. Verse 35. But that day, Laban, I appreciate the game here, I will say, removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he said, a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. I mean, it's kind of funny, but the Lord was so far ahead of this. And it's like, we're going to make this so preposterous that you're again going to see the Lord's hand in this. And again, this is part of the cloud of witness. We see what the Lord can do. Sometimes we feel so crushed by the world system around us. Understand that this, that you serve the very God who said, I want you to carve some sticks and throw them in the water when the animals mate. And they're going to come out spotted. We get so concerned by the details of our life to know that the God who did this, to know that the God who took, who took slaves out of Egypt, walked them up to a wall of water, and they turned around and said, Oy vey, where do we go from here? And he split the water and had him walk through it. We forget that that is the same God that we serve today. We become, we're so fickle. We become so frustrated by the world around us. And yes, it's frustrating, but God is in complete control and he's using it to his glory. Our job is hand to the plow to serve him faithfully and honestly, ready to give a reason for the hope and the faith that lies within us, to be approved, able to divide the word. That's the job. The job isn't to fix this place. Guess what? It's unfixable. It's irrevocably broken until God burns it and rebuilds it. This place is fodder for the fire. It's dying without him. And sometimes it would leave us sometimes fearful to speak back truth. We must not be that way. We have to do it in love and as salt. Salt that adds flavor to food. But we must do it. We're not surprised to see Laban's tricks, though I snicker at them a little bit. It was wrong. We know that God was way ahead of this. We know the spoiler alert that's coming. So we'll look together to verses 37 through 43 and see God's providential hand in this. Sorry, I just saw the second hand on the clock, and I thought it was quarter afternoon. That was scary for me. Verse 37, then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. You know, I'm going to hit pause here. I'm going I'm to postulate for a minute. I bet you someone has taken this verse before, carved up some sticks, thrown them in the water, and mated them some animals to see what would happen. Because when we don't understand what a text is, we do what's called violence to the text. What's happening here in the book of Genesis isn't, the, isn't normative, right? This isn't God saying, this is how you have a mating plan for animals. This is not a book that says you should always do these things. This is a book that's recording history. These are things that have occurred in real life, and God has said for them to occur. He's not instructing you what to do in this. 
He's allowing you to see his hand operate through this. He's allowing you to see that he is strong. He's allowing you to see that what he says will come to be, even if it seems patently strange. If he says it, it is so. If God says it, it will happen. And we see that time and time and time again. And so if we learn to trust God at his word, it will change everything about our lives. When we understand that we should be anxious in nothing, and we know this is the God that did all these incredible things. This is the God who pushed this entire cloud of witness forward for us to see. We know that this is the God who, in this situation, I, you know, I prayed to him and I felt so desperate. And now when I look back, I saw that he blessed me through that. I see that that time when I felt like I was being so hurt and chastised and so disciplined that I'm thankful for that season because it gave me better perspective on who God is and whose I am. It's hard to be thankful in the moment sometimes, but it's, un- it's, it's important to understand what we're reading. Verse 38. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Of course they did. Verse 40. And Jacob separated the lambs. Jacob separated the lambs, and he set the faces of the flocks towards the stripe, and all the black in the flock in the flock of Laban. And he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Wherever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay sticks in front of the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, male servants, uh, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. We see God is just increasing his possessions. God is showing himself strong. Laban, you could do every trip in the book, but God has said this will be. And guess what? This will be. We're seeing more of God's providential, all-knowing grace through Jacob, leaving a witness for himself, encouraging Jacob's faith, and by extension, through recording this in the word, encouraging our faith through the great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews 11 will tell you all about. I think these passages are so helpful to our, our growth as believers, but our sustainment as believers. Because again, just like, just like Jacob, living 14, 20 years in this situation where maybe it feels like everything's working against me. Every time I try to do something, this guy's ahead of me. It ends up in another seven years of service, eight years of service, another crazy circumstance. And through it, God is present through all of it. And so it's a blessing for us to be able to see that because it's, Similarly, true for us that God is present through all of our lives. He has a a will that he reveals to us or doesn't. And we as believers, it's it's, it's having a purpose in life to find God's will. So many people say, well, I want to know God's will for my life. Well, it's probably not two sentences, right? It might be something today, and it might be something different tomorrow. We, we, We just want an easy answer, and it's always got to be something huge. You know, uh, God's will for my life is that I become filthy rich and do wonderful things with all the money that he's given me and, and look great in front of the world and live in eternal comfort. This is my dream, God's will for my life. It seems to be playing out a little differently than that, um, but I trust him in it. 
custom in it completely. It's so funny, I remember, they do this less now that they're getting older, but my kids would always ask me, God, wouldn't you want to be famous and rich? No, no to either. I want to be obscure and slightly not poor, right? That's kind of where I want to fall. Rich, no thanks, especially not in this world. Everybody has a phone. Uh, a buddy of mine wrote me the other day, uh, funny story, I actually shared it with Justy, but um, we were working together on time in Arizona, and there's these big trailers, and on the back of these trailers, they call it a water buffalo. It's this massive tank full of water, and you just throw bleach in it and drink whatever's in there. Probably bad for you. And you have to clean the insides of these things. But, you know, you realize it's, I, I don't know, it's you know, the distance from that wall to here, this massive tank. And, and my buddy fell in and kind of started freaking out inside. He characterizes it as laughing. He was not laughing. He was freaking out. And I was trying to pull him out, but we were, I was laughing at him so hard I really couldn't physically uh, pull him up out of this thing. So it's just a, it's a great memory. In these tough times and through tension, so frequently, God is, God is blessing us in these moments. And, and again, I, you know, sometimes we, we see blessing a little bit off, a little bit wrong, a little bit differently than God is. But God sees perfectly what we can never see. And he knows perfectly what we can never know. And as soon as we learn that, we'll know to trust him in every circumstance and in every situation. He sees perfectly what we can't. And he knows perfectly what we never could. So we should trust him completely. I bring you back to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, through who the joy that was set before him endured cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what the joy that was set before him to endure the cross was? Redemption. Our redemption is satisfying and glorifying God. That's what we get to echo. That's what we get to live out. That's what we get to employ in our day-to-day lives, and that gives us purpose. Again, I suggest that you read Hebrews chapter 11 and be encouraged by that cloud of witness and be helped by it to lay aside every weight. There's purpose to recording all these stories. They're not just here to be neat stories. They're not just here to sell flanograms. They're not just here for children to memorize. They're not just here to make really cool movies for Walmart to sell. They're real. They really happen, and they show God's power And it's incredible. And so allow that cloud of witness to do exactly what it's supposed to do, which is to help us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and run the race we're given, looking to Jesus as our founder and perfecter. Because our our faith is not blind. It's eyes wide open. It's eyes wide open on the whole of Scripture, eyes wide open on every element of our own testimony, our lives lived, looking back and reflecting on all that God was doing and saying, that is not possible. It's so easy in this life to look around and see the hand of God. Just the existence of people demonstrates God. The existence of the stars at night, if you get away from noise of light and see the Milky Way for the first time in all its splendor, screams for God. 
You cannot deny the existence of God because of the created order. Scripture reveals that, that everyone knows that there's a God. Anyone who claims to be an atheist is just being stubborn, not real, because atheism is a claim for all knowledge, which no one can have. You cannot be atheist. You do not know all things. So our not blind faith is informed by the word. We see in 2 Peter 1.19, it's informed by this cloud of witness. We see in Hebrews 11 and 12. It's pushed on by God's grace through our experience and through abiding over time as we grow more into the image of God, 2 Peter 3.18. I'll leave you with one scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Reads like this, let your do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray. God, we thank you so much for your word that you Give us not to grope around and stumble in the dark and pretend that we would even desire to find you, but that you seek us and you've created an entire people, nation, an entire church to go and seek and save, to, to, to go to the highways and to the byways. God, would you make us be those people for those who don't yet know of your goodness and grace. God, if there would be anyone in the room this morning who does not know your son as Savior and Lord, Pray that they would reach out to you in this moment, praying the only prayer that you hear from the unbelieving, which is forgive me of my sin, is a heart that's turning to your son and being repentant and trusting you in everything. God, for those of us who have been believers for a time but maybe have fallen flat in our walk, be it by failure, moral failure, sin failure, failure to just be present, failure and being exhausted and doing good, failure and glorifying you in all things. As we sang earlier this morning, your mercies are new every morning, and we're thankful for that. God, would you re-encourage those of us who maybe aren't? God, would you grow us into one tightly knit family together who glorify you to a watching and dying world? Love you in Jesus' name. Amen.